And as I looked at Acts chapter 21, you know what I thought? Like, as I've looked at my life, and, I, and I've looked over my life, I can honestly say, I've made some really good decisions in my life. I, I've, I, like, for instance, asking Trisha to marry me. Good decision. Um, saying yes to moving to Norwalk. Good decision. Giving my life to following Jesus and making him the leader of my life. Excellent decision. However, at a quick glance, it doesn't take long as I look back at the past to also prove that I've made some not-so-good decisions in my life. For instance, buying our house in Florida. Bad decision. Um, Somehow thinking that I could... Win a fight in the eighth grade against Jeremy Dahlstra. Bad decision. Um, Not investing in Bitcoin several years ago. Bad decision. Like there's some things I wish I could go back. And and isn't that that how it is? Making decisions is is hard. It's, it's, It's difficult. In fact, how many of you are already stressing out about where you're going to go to dinner after church is over? We, uh, that's a big thing in my family. Make, that's a huge decision to make. Uh, decisions, they're hard. Wouldn't it be nice if we just knew a way that we could know the future so we could make wise decisions all the time? If only, if only we had a tool for knowing the future. Let me think. Let me think. How could we do this? You want to know the, the magic eight ball. Right? right, right, You want to know the future, you shake this thing up, and you ask it a question, and it tells you. So I tried it, and I shook it up, and I said, Magic 8-Ball, is my fantasy football team going to beat Zach Wise this weekend? And it said, don't count on it. <laughs> to which I knew it was wrong, because my fantasy team is looking amazing this year. So I just, I'm on it this year. Now, in all, in all seriousness... Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it truly be amazing if there was something like the Magic 8-Ball that could just give us all the answers to all the questions that many of us face, many of you are facing in this room today? Questions I know you're having. Questions like this. Should I look for a new job? I hear this one a lot. I am struggling at my job. Should I stay? Should I go? What do I do? Right? Or... or or what opportunities that come along should I say yes to? And what opportunities should I say no to? Some of you in this room are wondering, who should I marry? Is this the person or isn't it the person? A big decision. Should I join a serving team? Should I go on this short-term trip to Kentucky to help with the flood relief? Should, should I or shouldn't I? Oh, Maybe you're in this room and you're thinking right now, okay, I'm starting to think about colleges. What, where do I go? What do I do? I choose for my profession. Or, or maybe how you're balancing work and family and plus all these other obligations. So many more questions I know are happening right in this room today that you are working through. What to do? Because whether it comes to a big decision in life or just one of those smaller daily decisions, there's no magic eight ball to tell us what to do. And maybe that's a good thing. Because what if I told you that there is a way for us to make decisions without, without having to live in fear or, or worry about regret that we made the wrong decision. 
I want to look to Acts chapter 21 today to see how we can do this together. And so if you do have your Bibles, flip them open to Acts chapter 21. If you don't have your Bible, your cell phone app, or there's Bibles in the back of this room, if you don't own a Bible, I want you to take one of ours because I want to be able to follow along through the rest of Acts together. Um, And that's important. So Acts chapter 21, I'm really going to hang out in the first 14 verses or so today. So let's start with this. It says this, After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, we sailed straight to the island of Kos. The next day we reached Rhodes and then went to Patera. There we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia. We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left, and landed at the harbor of Tyre in Syria, where the ship was to unload its cargo. We went ashore, found the local believers, and stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit, now listen to this, that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. Well, I don't know about you, but we just read Acts chapter 20 last week, and where is Paul headed? Jerusalem. We know this is, so we see, we, we have a problem here. Paul's on his way to Jerusalem, and here we have believers who are prophesying that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. In fact, it's not just these people, but a few verses later, uh, the people of Tyra, they're not the only ones here. There's other believers that are saying Paul shouldn't go either. Look at these verses. So several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. And he came over, took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, on the surface... This seems confusing to me. I, I, I mean, I got to wonder, were these believers wrong? Were, did they not hear from God? Did they not hear the Holy Spirit correctly? Or was Paul wrong? Was, was he making a bad decision going to Jerusalem? Who's right? Who's wrong? I, 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 see, I see both sides here because it seems like the Spirit's telling Paul he should go, but the Spirit's also prompting these believers in Agabus saying, no, don't go. So, and then we look back at chapter 20 where we were at last week. We know Paul was being told to go because it says in Acts chapter 20, where Paul said, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Paul was hearing from the Holy Spirit too. And so at first glance, it doesn't take long here for us to see the believers are not on the same page, are they? They're they're hearing different stuff. Paul's hearing the Spirit say, go. These believers are telling him not to go. So what is the right decision? What should Paul do? I'll admit a little closer to home I've felt the tension here in my own life and at our church in the past two or three years. I have had 
believers and followers of Jesus Christ that I know and I love and I trust and I respect telling me, Charles, we should do this. But then I've also had other groups of believers that I love and I trust and I respect and value saying, no, 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 Charles, we should do this. Two different groups of believers I love and trust and respect telling me to do two different things. I felt the tension here that is happening in this story. So who's right? What decision should be made? Well, here's what I do know. I know that Agabus and the believers really did hear from God. They, re- they really did hear from God's Spirit about Paul's journey to Jerusalem. And they heard about the suffering that Paul was going to get if he went to Jerusalem. I believe they heard that. But here's the important thing, and here's what I want to emphasize. I also believe that I don't think that God was telling these believers that Paul shouldn't go. I think, I think the Spirit was telling these people that, that yes, Paul was going to end up suffering if he went. And these people loved Paul. They cared for him. They didn't want him to suffer. They didn't want him to hurt. They didn't want him to even, maybe worse, end up dying. In fact, if we read... If you read the rest of Acts chapter 20 where we were last week, in fact, I showed you this verse last week, but just to remind you, it said this. This is Paul. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing, Paul said to me, unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. He wasn't clueless here. He knew about the suffering that he would have to endure. And and then after, after the believers, they begged Paul not to go. In Acts chapter 21, Paul responds to these believers in the, with this verse in 13. He said, Why all the weeping? You are breaking my heart, Paul says. For I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. He's ready. And these believers, I think at this point, they realize, look, nothing is going to stop Paul from going. His mind is made up, even if it means death itself. And then, in fact, it goes on to say this in verse 14. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said this, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will be done. If you do have your Bibles, I want you to underline, circle, put a star next to that phrase. The Lord's will be done. That phrase is is key. Because Paul knew what awaited him. He knew his next steps in life. He knew what he was being called to do. And he was willing to take that step for the sake of following Jesus. And in the end... These Christ followers surrendered to what was God's best for Paul's life. Notice I didn't say they surrendered to what was good, at least in terms of what we think is good. Notice I didn't say they surrendered to what was right or what was wrong. No, no, no. They surrendered to what was best for God's will. 
best. To which I go, man, that's great for Paul. It's great that he knew he was going to go to Jerusalem. It's great he knew the next steps that God had for him. It's great that he understood God's will. Good for you, Paul. But what does that mean for you and I in this room? When we are wrestling through life and some of these questions and challenges, how are we to know what is God's will for our lives? Whether it's in our daily decisions or whether it's in these big, huge decisions we're facing, how do we know what God wants for us to do? That's my question. And as we answer that together, I want to weave some thoughts and some ideas from this author. His name is Kevin DeYoung, and he wrote this book, Just Do Something. I want to recommend that you, that you get this book. I recommend it for two reasons. One, it's short. I like short books. Two, it's got some real practical things in here. Practical things as you're working through making some decisions that may help and guide you along the way as you do. And I'm going to weave some of his thoughts in throughout the rest of this. So, so um, know that if you, if you do get that book to read it. So when it comes to discovering God's will for our life, what is that? There, I want to get a little more specific because traditionally we think of it in terms of kind of two things. Two things. The first is this. We call it God's will of direction. God's will of direction. This is, this is really essentially answering two different questions. God's will of direction answers what do I do? What should I do? And it also answers well, where do I go? What do I do and where do I go? Those are important things. Those are things that we wrestle through. Those are important for us to know. However, there's a second part of God's will I want to highlight that we don't think about as often. Yes, we, we need God's will of direction, but part two to this is that we need God's will of desire. God's will of desire answers some real crucial questions that we need to know. Questions like this. How am I living? How am I living? Or, or who am I becoming? These, these questions address the quality of our character. They address morality. They, they address and emphasize the goal of us becoming more and more like Jesus. And spoiler alert, if you want to know if you are in will of God, it always looks like becoming more like Jesus. This is the will of God's will of desire. And in many ways, I believe this God's will of desire is bigger than the, his will of direction. In fact, I go as far as to say God's will of desire is greater than God's will of direction. Yes, it's important to know what to do and where to go and all those things. Absolutely, it's important. But it is more important to know uh, uh, who we are becoming in God's eyes and who we are. And so what, what is God's desire, his will of desire for our lives? Well, I think it's summed up pretty simply. It's in the book of Mark, 
um, that Jesus kind of, he takes all of these things and he boils it down to two ideas for us. He simplifies stuff. And he simplifies it, I think, just because he knows I wouldn't remember it if he didn't. And so he simplified it to two things. You probably don't even need to write these down because it's super easy to remember. He says this, if you want to know if you're in my will, do these two things. Here we go. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number one. And you know number two, right? The second's equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Love God, love people. When we love and we serve people with our entire being, and we put as much effort into loving and serving people as we do into meeting our own needs, then we are always in the dead center of God's will every single time. In fact, I love uh, one of the pastors that I listen to a lot and I absolutely love. His name is Andy Stanley. And he asked this question. He says, before you make a decision, always ask this question. What does love require of me? Love God, love people. What does that mean? What does love require of me? And whatever the answer to that question is, I promise you, you will find yourself in the center of God's will. So, so let me bring us back real quick. So why would Paul go to Jerusalem even though he knew there was suffering for him there? How could Paul be so confident that he was making the right decision in going to Jerusalem? I think it boils down to this. Paul knew what love required of him. Was him going loving God? Yes. Check. Was him going loving people? Yes. Check. Then do it. Then, then, then do it. Will this always be comfortable? Doubtful. Will this always mean that you're going to avoid troubles or, or hardships in your life? Really, really doubtful. However, you bring the person you are and you are becoming into every aspect of your life. So why not become the person that God desires for you to be? Now, I know some of you are sitting here this morning going, all right, Charles, you're giving us all these fancy churchy explanations. You're doing the pastor thing. I thought you were going to give us some tips on how to make better decisions and you're just talking like a pastor. Be real. So, okay, so in the last little bit of time we have, let me be real. Let me give you some things on how you can know that you are following God's will of direction. That is those what do I do and where do I go type questions. Let, let, let me share some of these. In fact, there's three ways. There's three ways that we can discern God's will of direction. Way number one is this. If you want to know what God wants for you, you must listen to what he has to say to you. That is through prayer and scripture. If you want to know God's will, you have to listen. Of course, which you're going, duh, of course. If you want to hear what someone has to say, you have to listen. It seems simple enough, but let's be completely honest here. How many of us are actually, are actually doing this as our first step? Honest. I mean, if you're not going to be honest with me, at least be honest with yourself. It, 
when making decisions, is this your first step? Are you seeking the Lord? Are you seeking his word? Are you seeking him in prayer? Are you listening to his lead? Are you honest? Because most of us, and I lump myself into this category, most of us are real, real good at, at um, seeking others, which, spoiler alert, that will be one of them in a minute. We're real good at um, maybe buying books to read, or we're real good at looking at articles, or we're real good at Googling things to see what everyone else in the world thinks we should do. We're real good at going to Facebook and asking those people, what should I do? We're real good at seeking out and listening to all sorts of other stuff. But how many of us can honestly say we're starting with God? He's my, my first that I go to. This is why, I know I'm on a soapbox, I'm sorry. This is why coming to church on a Sunday morning is, and, and not doing anything the rest of the week is it's not enough. Because in John chapter 15, we're told that we need to stay connected to the vine at all times. That means going to God through scripture and prayer on a regular basis This is always step number one, and we know Paul was doing this. He was in God's word, and he was praying, and how do we know? Because he was able to choose the hard path of going to Jerusalem, knowing there was even suffering and death awaiting for him there. Now, does that mean that the choose what God's will for your life is always going to be difficult and suffer? No. No, just because something's difficult doesn't mean it's God's will for your life. But the same, just because something's easy doesn't mean it's his will for your life either. Especially when we live in this society that says, oh, make your dreams come true and and do what's best for you and all these things. And sometimes that is the case. That is God's will. And when it is, awesome. I love it. But other times, God may say to you, choose what's hard and discover what is best And in this case, this is what happened with Paul. He chose what was hard, and he discovered what was best. And this is why we must seek God, so that we know his word, and we know his voice, and we are listening, so we will be in God's will. And I can promise you, this is just me talking, this isn't isn't the message. I promise you this gets easier. When you listen to God's voice, it becomes easier. In fact, it's in the book of John that that Jesus said, you know, my my sheep know my voice. They listen. They know. The more you go to him, the more you spend time in Scripture, the more you pray and you listen, the easier it becomes to recognize his voice. In a world that is surrounded with a million voices, the more we practice being with Jesus, the easier it is to point out his voice above all other voices. But it takes practice. So I encourage you to be doing that regularly. Let me jump ahead uh, for time's sake. Uh, The two, number two, ways to discern God's will of direction. Seek multitude of wise counselors. You know, uh, all throughout the book of Proverbs, God tells us to seek wise counsel. Emphasis here on the word wise, right? 
Um, in fact, let me just show you some of these Proverbs. Proverbs 12 says, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Proverbs 15 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Uh, Proverbs 19 Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. All of these proverbs point to the fact that by ourselves, left alone, you will probably make the wrong decision. However, when surrounded by wise counsel, people who are wise, we will probably make the right decision. Now, I say probably for a good reason. Right, Because there are some people in our lives that are selfish. There are some people that, that they want to tell us what they want for our lives. Those people are controlling. And then there are people who, who they, they just want to be liked and they'll confirm whatever it is we do. You just do you and you be happy. Those people, those are yes people, those are people pleasers. And then there's people like what, what Paul was surrounded with. These well-intentioned believers that just didn't want to see him get hurt. So they were trying to protect him. Those are well-intentioned people, but they're not able to see the bigger story here. Those things, when this happens, when we surround ourselves with these people, I tell you, you have to go back to step one. Always go back to step one, as Paul did, and listen to God's voice and obey it. But most of the time, most of the time, if you go to people who love you enough to pray for you and love you enough to read Scripture to you, that love you enough to disagree with you when they see you going a wrong way. That love and care for you enough that they want the very best for you. And the best, God's best for you, which is always growing closer to Jesus. Those people I am talking about, when you surround yourself with those people, you can be sure that God is going to use them to help you with your next steps. And I'll tell you this, again, I'm stepping away from the message for a minute because I want to share this with you. This is why every couple that comes into my office that wants to get married, I ask them these questions. What does your, uh, what does your family think of your fiancé? What do your friends think of your fiancé? Do your friends like them or do they struggle with them? What, what does your mom and dad say about your fiancé? They get along well or do they have problems with them? I ask them these questions because, listen, if the people that love you the most in your life, if the people that care about you the most in your life see something, it's at least, at minimum, worth stepping back and going, maybe I should at least just pause for a second and check this out. It's worth at least that, right? Because they love you. I can't tell you how many couples have come into my office and they've sat down and I've heard them say these words. They've said, they said, I, I just didn't listen. Or, or man, I, everyone told me and I couldn't see it. And I couldn't see it. And I say, of course you couldn't see it. There's a good reason why you couldn't see it. It's because you and I are amazing salespeople. We're awesome. 
You may not have ever thought of yourself as a salesperson, but I bet you when it comes to selling yourself on an idea, you are masterful at it. You are great at justifying your feelings. You're great at getting what you want. You're great at, doing, at, 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 at navigating your emotions and getting to where you want. You can justify anything. You can sell yourself on an idea you would tell your friend to run from because it's what you want. We are master salesmen when it comes to ourselves. That is why, one, we listen to God, and two, we listen to wise counsel because we need that in our lives, because we're real, real good at tricking ourselves. But then we jump to number three, and it is this. Don't make it more complicated than it ought to be. Make a decision. You can't mess it up. Let me, let me explain this. Right after Solomon says to seek wise counsel and, and, and to seek God, he follows it up with, with these words. He says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. It, it, you see, Solomon is encouraging us to seek God's word. Yes, he's encouraging us to take wise counsel. Yes, but he's also encouraging you to use your brain and make a decision. Just, just do it. And God's promise, as I read here, is one that says, look, you're going to get to exactly where you need to go because his purpose will always prevail in your life. You're going to get to where you need to go regardless. This takes the pressure off, doesn't it? This, 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 this just gives me a freedom. We can just choose. In fact, I'll say it like this. Quit asking yourself what is the right decision or the wrong decision. Start asking yourself what is the best decision. And then choose. And choose. And then trust God with the outcome. Trust Him. You can't mess it up. Um, I love don't make it more complicated than it ought to be. Make a decision. You can't mess it up. You'll notice the asterisks that I put up there. That wasn't a mistake. I didn't mess it up. Uh, the, I put it there because the only way you can mess this up, the only way is if you make a choice that goes against God's will, which is will is what? To love God, love people. Or if you make a choice that's immoral. Now, if you make one of those choices, then your choice is not God's best. You're not choosing uh, what love requires of you, and you're on your own. And you're probably heading towards bad things. That's the only way. Otherwise, choose. You can't mess up. In fact, I love this, this quote in that book I told you to pick up. This author says this, God's not a magic eight ball we should shake up and peer into whenever we have a decision to make. He says, he is a good God who gives us brains, shows us the way of obedience, and invites us to take a risk for him. Should you do this or that? I don't know. Choose. And trust God. He, his, his way will prevail. So as we close here, Acts chapter 21 today, we know that Paul made the best decision. And we know he did even when those that were close to him tried to persuade him away from that. We, we know, and how do we know that he did? We know he did because, because his decision was to love God 
and to love people. Paul did what love required of him, and that's what it takes to be in a position to become a person who is always at the center of God's will. And so I ask you today, whatever it is that you are facing, whatever question that you are addressing, whatever decision you must make, can you answer that? What does love require of me? What does love require of me? And I promise you, you'll be at the center of God's will. So let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, a lot of decisions in this room being made even today. I know there are. So Lord, may we truly hear from you. Guide and direct us, Lord. At the end of the day, I lay these things at your feet and I trust you. I trust you, Lord. Thank you for using people in our life that love and care for us, that are wise, that are connected to you to help us, to guide us through this. Lord, thank you for the intelligence and the brains you've given each of us to make some of these decisions as well. Lord, we look to you and may we always, always, Lord, do what love requires of us, to love you and to love others. So we trust you with that now, Lord. Go with us this day, Jesus, and wherever we're headed, please. In your name I pray, amen. Hey, have a great day. We will see you next week.